Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, Wisdom Matters. So turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 19, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Wrong Path. It is mums and dads, mothers and fathers, who are intended by God to be the primary teacher of the next generation. In our day, there are many who mistakenly and tragically believe that the job should fall to government, state-instituted classrooms, the professional teacher. Even some Christian parents believe it is the church that has the first responsibility. And look, I'm not underestimating the power of a good Sunday school teacher who forms a long-term bond with a child, and for that matter, also the youth leader. I mean, those things are vital. But the scripture insists on the primary role of the parent. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Or listen to Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That is, in both formal and informal settings, talk always about your faith and about the commands of God and about the teachings of the word and about the wider theological concerns. Talk about them with your kids. Now, the idea of diligence in teaching our children means that, that parents are to be meticulous and careful and attentive to the task of discipling the next generation. God wants families to be legacies of faithfulness, and that faithfulness doesn't happen by accident. You know, I have now for many years been intrigued by family catechisms in which great questions of the faith are in an age-appropriate way asked of children by their parents Parents will want to take note of their kids' comprehension of and growth in the faith. Well, now, we've come in our study of wisdom to Proverbs chapter 4, and in this chapter, we will again see that the father is taking time with his son. He wants the son to recognize that he has, as it were, been given a very valuable inheritance. You have to imagine Solomon taking this role, and, and given that what we know about the riches that Solomon attained during his lifetime, I mean, we've got to think that any child born into his house would be aware that he or she'd been born into privilege, wealth, power, prestige. All that came from being born into that home. But Solomon wants to impress on his son that the monetary wealth is not the riches that is his inheritance. No, it's something else. Proverbs 4, 1 to 4, hear, O sons of father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. You know, the passage begins with the words, hear, O sons. It's quite possible that the sons might not be listening. And as the father, Solomon is in a position to demand that his sons should listen. I mean, after all, it's the duty of parents to instruct their children. That duty was given to them by God. And if so, then it's a duty of the children to listen. And that's why verse 1 includes a command. The sons listen to their dad. Notice the use of parental authority. I, I remember once having a conversation with a parent that went something like this. 
Look, what if my kids disagree with me? I mean, who am I to insist on my own way? I mean, don't my children have the right to choose their own way? You know, can we just stop here? Can we acknowledge that that kind of thinking is common in our day and it's also sheer folly? It's been said that ours may be the first generation in history that doesn't know how to raise its young. That's clearly an overstatement, I suppose, but sometimes we need an overstatement that sees the kind of trouble that we're presently in. Let me suggest a little example. Very recently, I got a text message from a dear friend who's stuck in the airport. His flight was being delayed, and so he took to people watching, and here's what he wrote. There's a couple near us in the lounge who are doing everything to make their two kids happy. Happy, happy, happy. What do you need? What can I get you? Would you like a cookie? Don't cry. Let's color. Uh, Not that kind of cookie? Uh, How about some rice? Let me draw you a picture. A drink? What kind of drink would you like? Nachos? You like nachos? And then my friend was observing that, and he says, I mean, these happy little ones are screaming full bore, and their parents are acting like full-time maids and butlers. That is, instead of using that moment as a God-given opportunity to teach their children how to behave in less than ideal circumstances, things that they're going to encounter over and over again in their lives, those parents were so afraid of their own children, and they had become so obedient to their own children rather than the other way around, and many parents are unknowingly creating a generation of monsters. Solomon doesn't fall for that. He demands his kids listen to him. Indeed, he gives his sons a command, don't you forsake my teaching. And then in order to make that point, he wants them to know that what he is teaching them is the wealth of the family. He received this teaching from his own father. It made them the man he is. And then he illustrates. The father had instructed him in two things. The first was to let your heart hold fast. That is, with your affections, view my teaching in regard to faith and wisdom to be desirable. And second thing that he's got to do is keep my commandment and live. That is, do what I say, and you will learn how to live well. You know, in the modern age, the idea of an authoritative father has been smashed to to bits. We love to give example after example of parents who have their own dreams for their children, and they're not listening to what their children's dreams are. You know, in our day, the idea of parents correcting the bad decisions of their children are often portrayed as parents who don't take time to understand their children. Now, of course, parents must take time to understand who their children are. And they're not to simply assume they know. That is good counsel. But if that's the only counsel, or if that's the major counsel, it's extremely bad counsel. Children don't have wisdom, but they need it. Children don't have understanding, but they need it. Children need to be shown that wisdom does not innately reside in their hearts. Children need to be given the tools to drive out folly and to embrace that which is life-giving. Left on their own, children will not choose life. They will choose the paths that lead to death. Wise parents know that, and they instruct their children. Well, very good. Let's go to the next section, and that's verses 5 to 9. And the father wants to impress this upon his sons. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. That, says Solomon, is the greatest heritage you have from me. 
It's the command that you spend your time getting wisdom. That's what our family's about, he says. Now, please notice that twice in this passage, we have that command. Verse 5 begins with the words, get wisdom. And then we find the command again in verse 7. And then please also notice that after the command is given twice, in each case, there's a motivation for the son to carry out the father's command. So let's look at the first command itself. The key word is the word get. The word is also used in the context of purchasing something. So let me give an example. If you have a job, but you can't get to the job, I might say to you, uh, you know, you should purchase a car. Now, you'd know what that means. It means that you ought to pay the price to get that car. Now, that's the idea of Proverbs 23, verse 23. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Purchase wisdom. That is, pay whatever price needs to be paid in order to get wisdom. See, the father knows that his son has not yet grasped that. The son doesn't yet know that wisdom will demand a price. And the son also doesn't yet understand that the price for getting wisdom is a price that the son must pay. It's important for the son to understand that wisdom will require intensive study as well as discipline took over the lessons on numerous occasions. But it will also require that the son never turns his back on wisdom. He must continue on. But if he does, and this is the motivation for paying the cost he must pay, is that wisdom will guard him. Well, from what? Well, the rest of the introduction to wisdom in Proverbs is going to give examples. I mean, for one, wisdom will protect the inexperienced son from the immoral woman, the adulteress. But wisdom will also protect him from poverty and from calamity. In short, wisdom will anticipate every wrong path the young son might take and shut the door to disaster. But wisdom will do more than simply protect the young son. Wisdom will honor him. It will honor him in his community as well as give him recognition. In verse 9, wisdom provides a graceful garland, a crown of honor. When kings are crowned, people recognize the glory. Wisdom has its own crown. The Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience is a trip like none other. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our most recent trip said, listening to Pastor John teach the Bible while looking and breathing the air where the events he speaks about may actually have happened puts doubts of the authenticity of the Bible to rest. So make plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming spring from April 16th to the 24th, 2023, and with an optional Jordan extension from April 24th to the 29th. With on-location teaching from Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld and evenings of entertainment with Laugh Against Phil Calloway and very special musical guest Amanda Stott. For more information, the trip itinerary or registration forms, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We've looked at verse 9 of Proverbs 4, and we've heard a concerned father addressing his sons. The father says, look, sons, I too was once in a position that you now find yourselves in. I remember the time when my father was addressing me, and in that fashion, the father says, Sons, I can identify with you, and at this stage, I'm dictating.
dictating to you, and I remember exactly what that was like. But in doing this, the father's telling his sons that the wisdom he's teaching them doesn't originate from him. He's not saying, this is stuff I've learned in my lifetime. Rather, he's saying, this is the wisdom that was communicated to me, and this is the wisdom that I have lived in. So stop here and make sure we grasp the implication of that. If moms and dads, if all that you communicate with your children are the lessons that you've learned, what makes you think they will or should listen? But moms and dads, if you've given your life to understand wisdom that came not from you, but from God, and that you have in your lifetime put that wisdom to work and can share the impact that has made, that's profound. Now notice also that, you know, the first nine verses of chapter four tells us this has been the family treasure. No, it's not money or fame or political power. These things, although they've been considerable in Solomon's household, his real heritage is godly wisdom. So think about that right now in regards to your own family. What would you like if your family, your grandchildren, your children, your great-grandchildren, what if they were known for this? that the family was known to pursue godly, biblically-inspired wisdom, that your family has known to live life well to the glory of God and obedience to Christ as their Savior. What do the wealthiest families on the earth have in relation to that? What if the mantra of your family, and you might insert your family name here, was Proverbs 4 verse 7, that the beginning of wisdom for your family is this, we get wisdom. We purchase wisdom, regardless of how high the price is. Would not your life, as well as your family life, be marked by those influences? And so this is the beginning of Proverbs 4. Make it your goal that wisdom is a family tradition. Now let's go from verse 10 to 19, and there we're going to find one of the core teachings of Proverbs. It's the teaching of two ways or two different paths. That is, every single person has in their future two different paths that they might follow. And as we continue to read through Proverbs, we're going to learn of the path of folly and the path of wisdom. And the path that you choose will determine the outcome of your life, so you're going to want to choose well. Again, remember the context of the passage. The father is teaching his sons about wisdom, and he's saying that they will choose a path forward in their lives. And like all paths, all paths end somewhere. And as we're contemplating that, we might think ahead of Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. That is to say, the way of death doesn't begin as a scary path. It begins as a most pleasant path. It's filled with delight and abundance of rewards. But once one's well down the path, it's difficult to get off. And as that path continues to progress, the end is utter ruin, eventual damnation. And with this in mind, let's begin to follow the story of the path of death as opposed to the path of wisdom. Verses 10 and 11. Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. So this father wants what every loving father wants for his son, that the years of his life might be many. And so he assures his son that he has not been teaching him the paths of wisdom because he wants his son to fulfill his own, that is the father's dreams, or that he wants somehow to manipulate the son to get the son to do only what the father wants him to do. Rather, the father wants the son to live long. The father wants the son to be satisfied with his life. The father, because he's learned the wisdom of God, knows that the path of wisdom is also called the path of uprightness. 
Now, in truth, you might have noticed it here, but the Father speaks of paths of uprightness. It's plural. That is, a man or a woman may choose a number of different paths, including varied career choices or different people they might marry, so forth. But the similarity behind all of those paths are uprightness. See, the word means the morally straight path. That is, doing the right thing at all points in time. That is always advantageous. Now then, the father always being aware that the son needs motivation for following the way rightly. Verse 12, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Now imagine, if you will, a pathway that leads through, you know, a dangerous territory. There, Along the way, there are rocky precipices, areas of wilderness, regions where there are dark shadows. And of course, there are deceptive paths, paths that look promising but lead nowhere, and even worse, that will lead to sudden slippery cliffs that where you make one false step might result in death. And of course, this is a picture of life. Enemies are always lurking in life. You know, some are people, some are circumstances, but all the places where you might stumble are unanticipated places. For who would walk where disaster and death are a certainty? No one. You know, these matters are matters of life and death, but the promise is made that the path of wisdom and moral uprightness is not a path of stumbling. See, that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to men and women who walk in wisdom, but it does mean that even should they encounter difficulties, those difficulties are never the pathway of the ruin of their lives and of their eternities. And that's a promise. It's the promise that invites the young to imagine how they'd like their lives to look like at the end. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Now, in many ways, this is simply a repetition of what the Father has said before. But given the possibility of ruin that is everywhere, this passage is especially poignant now. People are always falling, says the Father. Danger is always present. Death always awaits us. And the only security you have is the way of wisdom. But now we come to the heart of the matter. The Father really does want the Son to contemplate those who are on the pathway of folly. So verses 14 and 17. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. And they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. See, I find it fascinating that the Father knows that the pathway of wickedness has an entrance point, And then it has, after the point of entry, a commitment to carry on. And I find it tragic that many people aren't aware of this. So let me illustrate. Think of the man who commits adultery. He thinks to himself, this is going to be a one-time sexual relationship with a woman who's not his wife. No one's going to know. It's going to be exhilarating. It'll be exciting. It will fill the void in an otherwise dreary existence. It'll going to spice things up just a bit. But in the end, life will go on. No harm, no foul. But he does not know that this is the entry point, the on-ramp, if you will, onto the pathway of wickedness. Soon events are going to come in that will take over. He'll be out of control. And if you allow me to mix metaphors, he's going to find himself swept down a stream that's going somewhere. No act of wickedness ever remains as one act alone. It's an interconnected path. And so when the on-ramp is before you, the Father says, let me give you four commands. Avoid the on-ramp. Don't put your small toe on it. 
turn your body around, walk away, do those four things every time. You see, the problem with getting on that path is that once you're on that path of wickedness, you'll consistently want more. That's why eventually the path of wickedness leads people to become wicked. That is, they can't sleep until they've caused someone else to stumble. Now consider it from another vantage point, and that's in verses 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. See, in the end, the one pathway is walked in the light, the other in darkness. One pathway is open. The other is under the protection of secrets and lies. The problem with choosing darkness is, of course, it does keep others from seeing what you're doing. But in the end, it will also keep the evildoer from knowing where their foot is stepping down. A life lived with lies and soon don't be surprised when others lie to you. Darkness leads the darkened soul to stumble. And in the end, The ultimate father instructing his children is God himself. His commands for our lives are based upon his love for us, that he wants us to live a good life, and that we enter fully into the adventure that he's given us that's called life. And if that's what you want, if you want the life of God, you're going to want the life of uprightness. You're going to want to avoid the wrong path. You're going to answer the call to the path of life and close the door to that which leads to evil. Thanks for your message, Sean. Here's my question, though. What is the role of a parent when it comes to teaching wisdom to their kids? Yeah, that's such a good question because the entire um, dialogue that takes place in Proverbs is that a father has sat down with his son and he recognizes that, you know, the son will be led into the ways of foolishness. He's got foolish friends that surround him. He's got all these other things that will, you know, get in the way of his son becoming serious about wisdom. So the father recognizes that he has the primary role to play. And I would say this to both moms and dads, of course. Both moms and dads need to recognize that you can't uh, simply, you know, ask the school system or even the Sunday school uh, where you send your kids uh, to take the place of what godly parents are required to do with their kids. So if you have been given children by our Heavenly Father, uh, then you know that you have a role that you are to play and God has called you to do something. So um, you know, yeah, we are to teach uh, the first lessons to our children and they are to be on lessons on wisdom. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Wisdom Matters, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Do you have any young children in your life, perhaps of your own or a grandchild? If so, be sure to check out Back to the Bible Kids, our mobile Bible teaching games for children. Choose from these games, Bible ABCs, Bible coloring, or Noah's elephant in the room. Every game helps kids learn more about the characters of the Bible, learn scripture and biblical truths, enjoy educational activities, all in a safe and fun environment trace color and chase Noah around the ark, all while being introduced to Bible stories and characters. It's so important that the children of God are given the opportunity to become familiar with the Bible from a young age. And we hope that the Back to the Bible Kids mobile games do just that. To download any of our Back to the Bible Kids games for free, 
visit backtothebible.ca slash kids.